Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. I just want to remind everybody, I mean, I I speak to the church because God is doing something here, right? I mean, I don't know how many of us here, what, 28 of us or whatever? Yeah? In number? But God is doing something. Okay, no, no, I'm not just saying that, oh yeah, God is doing something, you know, believe me. I'm telling you, right, there there is something that is happening here, right? And he's told me. Okay, and he told me at the top of the year, Sister Abby knows, um, we should all know. Okay, you need to really look at yourselves. Because there's such a few number of us here, right? Stuff is going to be happening to you, right? It's going to be you. Because there's not, there's not 150 people, there's not 300 people in here, right? Okay. So, in January... Um, what date was it exactly? We got a date here. Oh, 9th of January. The Lord said um, for us here, He said, There is going to be much victory in the area of my children's employment. And this is not just promotion and new jobs like last year, it is in particular big achievements within your work. For I want to show that my hand of favour is upon you remarkably in this season. Right? Please prayerfully go for the opportunities that I put before you. Okay? Now, I know Denise, Microsoft, massive. Pastor Rod, what he said this morning, it doesn't stop there. It's just the beginning. Okay? Um, A few weeks ago, from for our own household, the Jeggedy household, we we got a letter from Ten Downing Street. Okay, and in the letter, it said that they want to award Tina MBE. Okay, so before she comes and explains a little bit, um, I said to the Lord, "That's a big deal." I mean, we've been rejoicing about it because it's, it's it's a big deal for us. And the Lord said, he said, no, that's nothing, right? That's just the beginning of what I'm doing. Okay. Um, I say all that because there's a story behind it all for Tina in particular. There's a long story. She doesn't just arrive and they're giving her an MBE. But we have to, God is, he does things with such style and significance. It is the 70th Jubilee, right? It's a Jubilee year. 70 completion right that he's chosen to put tina on the jubilee honors list right so this is not like last year the year before it's this year okay this year and yeah so i just want to encourage you all look at yourselves because i look at tina and it's tina jake the mbe <laughs> And um, I, was having, I was having this discussion with her, and I was saying to her, you know, MBE is not a qualification. What it is, is a public acknowledgement. So that when they call you, they say, Tina Jaggedy, MBE, to show what you, your, your public renown. In other words, what she has done within her work for the public. So anybody that calls her officially, they have to use that title okay she's going to say more but it's yeah anyway praise God thank you okay so um, I suppose really I want to say just one thing I live for Jesus And everything, the moments I know, he's the breadth, the depth, the height, the width of his love. The moments I really, really knew it, I lived for him. Because it's impossible to know the breadth, the height, the width of God's love and go after anything else but him. 
So I'll give him all of the glory. Amen. Thank you, Lord. It is. It is a portent of things to come. Um, oh, boy. Okay. So, I didn't want, the Lord said to me, this is what I want you to talk about. And I did not want to talk about it because it's personal for me. That's a first. Okay, so I only just realized that he's speaking. Yeah, so I only just realised that he's speaking beyond this message. So, <clears throat> what he said to me was, I want you to talk about Abraham's wife. And he said to me, he didn't mention her name. He did not mention her name. He just said, talk about Abraham's wife. And I said, Lord, but Abraham actually had three wives, did he not? He had Sarai, Hagar, and Keturah. He didn't say which. Abraham took Sarai as wife in Genesis 11.29. He was given Hagar as a secondary wife by Sarai in Genesis 16.3 because she could not have children. He took Keturah as wife after Sarah died. She had six sons, Keturah, and we see this in Genesis 25, 1. But he said, Abraham's wife, Hagar and Keturah were secondary wives or concubines. Okay? We all know this story. I mean, it's probably the, the, the most well-known story in the Bible. Um, so what concubines, what are these? Anciently, concubines were considered to be secondary wives. That is, wives who did not have the same standing in the caste system and did, 
as did those wives who were not called concubines. Concubines were usually slaves or lower caste members, whereas wives were free Hebrew women. Becoming a concubine would elevate a woman in status and her children were recognized as legitimate children of their father. Consequently, becoming a concubine was often desirable to lower caste women. Both wives and concubines were legally married to their husbands under the law of Moses. Okay. However, although God provided rights and protections for concubines in the law of Moses, God did not introduce or approve of this marital model. The Hebrew word for concubine, pilagesh, I think it is how you pronounce it, or pilagesh, isn't even a Hebrew of Hebrew origin. It is a non-Semitic loan word borrowed to refer to a phenomena not indigenous to Israel. So when Abraham, when, when the Lord is saying Abraham's wife, he's not at all thinking of Hagar and Keturah. He's thinking of the woman, the helpmate that is associated with the promise. Because she is the one that he is the God-given helpmate to Abraham. Interestingly enough, Abraham saw the other two as concubines. We see in Genesis 25, 5 to 6, and it says this, and Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines, Hagar and Keturah, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them to the east country, away from Isaac, his son of promise. Now, why am I hesitating? Why am I saying this? The Lord plans everything. He plans everything. Everything he does is, is of significance. Even the small things. How many of you know that God has, I mean, if you're a man, there is a God-given wife for you. I mean, you're not married, are you? Okay. Wisdom, there is a God-given wife for you. Okay. For the women, there is a God-given husband. Okay, For everyone who desires to be married. And he or she is intended to add to you, help you to achieve the destiny God planned for you, and not to hinder it. Okay, Not to hinder it. Genesis 2.18. Now the Lord God said... It is not good, sufficient, satisfactory that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper, meet, suitable, adapted, complementary to him. So it is supposed to be. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody's going to be married, okay? But it is part of God's plan for us, okay? Whether people in society say it or not, that is the plan of God that everyone should have their, their help me, every man and every woman should have their head. So choose wisely, making sure he or she is the one God intended. All right, now I've got my composure a little bit back. Okay, so let's talk about Sarai. Okay, so we know that she was Sarai and then she became Sarah. Okay. When you look in the scriptures, the first thing it says about Sarai is that she was barren. 
Okay. Very first description. Abraham's wife was that she was barren. And I checked out and I, and I, and I, and I looked. Was she barren from birth or did something happen? The Bible doesn't actually say, okay? But um, I understand that she was pretty much barren from birth. So it says in Genesis 11.30, but Sarah was barren. She had no child. Sarai means princess. And it was her earlier name, Sarai. And then she was renamed Sarah, which means my princess. Okay. At the annunciation of the birth of Isaac in Genesis 17, 15. But Sarah, the meaning also means noblewoman, lady, or happy. And Sarai also means in the Hebrew, contentious or quarrelsome. So she's moved from being someone that's quarrelsome and contentious to being my princess. Depending on which way you want to look at it, but that, those, those are the meanings. So what else about Sarah? So Sarah lived 127 years, and she was the first to be buried and mentioned in the Bible. She's buried in the cave of the patriarchs. Abraham, and I think Rebecca and Jacob are all buried there. Okay. So I was asking the Lord, was she barren at birth? Did Abraham marry her knowing she was barren? I don't think so. I think that she, he thought that she was not barren. But we certainly know that she was extremely beautiful. I mean, Pastor Rod always says it. I mean, she was an absolute knockout. It says she was so beautiful. In fact, beautiful to behold, it says in Genesis 12, 11, that, I mean, when you look at the age, at the time in that scripture, she would have been between 65 and 70 when they went to Egypt. And it still says she was so beautiful that Abraham thought, if they see that this is my wife, they're going to kill me for this woman. Right? We, don't, we have to think about that. In ancient Egypt, the women were beautiful. Okay? They were not like, they knew how to adorn themselves. Okay? But he was certain that they would kill him because they would be shown up compared to this woman. That's how beautiful she was. And she was virtually knocking on the door of 70. So she was absolutely something to behold. Okay? So they were she was enslaved and she went to the Pharaoh's harem. Someone that's almost 70 in a harem. I mean, that just... That doesn't, doesn't, doesn't sound right, but she was that beautiful, incredibly beautiful. All right, so the Lord began to speak to me about it. And what he said was this. I want you to look at the value system of a man versus that of mine. Okay, I'll deliberately not put this on the screen because I... I haven't got much to say, but I just want you to write what you can write. Because I know that when you write it, it's, it's going in. Okay, because it's literally, the Lord wants me to just speak this and just go. So I want you to look at the value system of a man versus that of mine. A value or ethic is a principle or standard about what is important in one's life. Your values form the foundation of your life. They dictate the choices you make and determine the direction of your, your life takes. 
Your values will influence your decisions related to your relationships, career, etc., etc. So, let's look at Abraham then. When the Lord said, I want you to look at the value system of a man versus that of mine, he's talking about Abraham. So in Genesis 15, 1 to 3, in the Amplified, it says this. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. So what these things? So these things are after Abraham had rescued his nephew, Lot, and all his possessions from the captivity, the battle of five kings. And he had tithed the great spoil of that battle to Melchizedek, Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High. By this time, Abraham was late 70s, 78, 80, with no child by Sarai. So if we assume, as is biblically estimated, that Abraham was 50-ish when he got married, it doesn't actually say in the scriptures how old he was when he got married. Okay? But there's some Hebrew texts which indicate that he was about 50, in his 50s, when he married Sarai. So by this time, they had probably been trying for a child for at least 25 years. And Sarai was probably in her late 60s already, because we know from the scriptures that she is 10 years younger. So, trying for 25 years at least to have a child. Now, it, today, when a couple gets married, it's still pretty tough. Tina will testify, it's still pretty tough. First five years, everybody's like, oh, what's going on? Ten years, everybody's like, oh, have you seen a doctor, whatever, you, there must be an issue. Yeah? Pressure. Okay? But today, you know, we have different things, IVF, all these different things that you can do that are going to help you through, right? In that day, barrenness was not really a thing. If you think about it, people were fertile in those days. Okay? They were... You'd, You'd look at, your husband would look at you and you'd be pregnant, basically. It was like that. So for a woman to be barren, that thing was rare. And I can only imagine the stigma. That's why it choked me. Because I remember when myself and Tina got married and we had our issue, I remember what it was like for Tina. I could see it. Yeah, I could see it. And I can only imagine what Sarai was going through. Okay? As a husband, when you see that thing, Not a good look. And it takes me back to this scripture. Genesis 15, 1 to 3. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Saying, fear not, Abraham. I'm your shield. Your abundant compensation and your reward. Mm -hmm. 
your reward shall be exceedingly great. And Abraham said, Lord God, what can you give me since I am going on from this world childless? And he who shall be the owner and heir of my house is this steward, Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham continued, look, you have given me no child. And a servant born in my house is my heir. I want you to look at the value system of a man versus that of mine, says the Lord. Now, Abraham loved the Lord. He depended on him. But look at the words he used to the Lord. I can only tell you the man was in pain. Because when I read it, I sat over there. I thought, whoa, Lord, what are you trying to tell me? Abraham had all but given up on having an heir from his own loins via Sarai. For all he had gained, and he was wealthy even then, gained everything. His value was just what he could currently see he had. Abraham, fear not. I am your shield, your abundant compensation, and your reward shall be exceedingly great. How many of us is God saying, I am your reward. I am the one that you should look at. I am all you need. Your value is in me. It is not in that thing. It is not in that child. It is not in that man. It is not in that woman. It is not in that. It's not in that. It's in me. God had already promised Abraham he would make a great nation out of him in Genesis 12. But Abraham, Abraham was not thinking on God's promise. He was just seeing physically. How many of us are doing the same thing today? We are looking physical, not promise. This God, when he promises, he cannot lie. He cannot back out of it. He can't back out of it. The universe would implode and take us with it. But yet we look physically. We look at time passing and what we see. Often, not firmly holding on to him and believing that the Lord can do it. The next thing the Lord said to me was this. Make it an urgent priority to believe me before you make a decision. An urgent priority. So he's saying, check me against my word, my promises, before you decide to go and do a thing. Urgently check it. Don't decide, don't go, don't make a decision without first checking what I've said is yours, what I've promised you. He said to me, Sarah or Sarai was unable to adapt to God's plan. Unable to adapt to my plan, he said. 
So she tried making her own path to the destination. She couldn't adapt. No way. Sarah was unable to reconcile her faith with her physical condition. No way can he do it in this womb. No way can he do it in me. Unable. Make it an urgent priority to believe me before you make a decision. I can only imagine what Sarai was going through. In Genesis 15, 4-6, it says this, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man, now he's talking to Abraham, shall not be your heir. But he who shall come from your own body shall be your heir. And he brought him outside, took him from the place where he was doubting and took him to show him something. Took him outside into the starlight and said, look now toward the heavens and count the stars. So he, he took him and said, I'm going to get you to look away from the earthly, to the heavenly, to the unlimited, to the place where stuff happens and can come into where you are. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your descendants be. God cannot back out of a promise. And he, Abraham, believed in, trusted in, relied on, remained steadfast to the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness, right standing with God. Sometimes I wish, Lord, you'd taken me out and flunked me somewhere and said, right, look up. But of course he did. With Jesus. So that's Abraham. So Abraham had that. He had what the Lord had said. And he knew, I promise you, Abraham, from your loins, your heir will come. So he had that. But what of Sarai? What of the, the woman? What of the wife? What did she have at this time? I'm sure Abraham would have discussed the situation with Sarah, what happened, what the Lord did, and said it to her. That's fine, Abraham, you know. I believe, I believe God. I believe what God said to you. But the reality is different. Genesis 16, 2 to 6 says this. And Sarai said to Abraham, See here, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. You see what I said? In those days, it was odder than odd to be barren because people would just have children just like that. So it must be the Lord that's literally stopping me because this thing is unheard of. That's how she's described it here. And I don't even know how she would have even said that. Maybe even bitter. I'm, I won't presume. I am asking you to have intercourse with my maid. It may be that I can obtain children by her. Think of it, wives out there. To say, right, this 
hired help, the one, the maid. Send your husband to, to go and sleep with this one so that you can have a child. You think about where she was at to come with that lyric. I can only imagine, Lord, what pain she must have been in to come with that. Make it an urgent priority to believe me before you make a decision, says the Lord. But Sarah was unable to adapt to God's plan. So she tried making her own path to the destination. Sarah was unable to reconcile her faith, which she had faith, with her physical condition. Okay. And Abraham listened to and heeded what Sarai said. He didn't argue because he knew where she was carrying at that time, what she was going through. He listened and heeded. But he himself knew, I have my promise, the air's coming from my loins. Now, I'm not saying he was being selfish, because that's reading too much into it. But he's thinking, well, if Sarah can't, Haggai, it will still be coming from my loins. That's what he's thinking. Because God promised him, it'll come from your loins. He didn't say at this time, Sarai is coming out of her womb. He didn't say that. So he's probably thinking, yeah, okay. Let me go with it, because this thing is hard on my wife. And in the early days, I knew, this thing was hard for us. You know? It was hard seeing couples with babies when we were yet still young in marriage and we were struggling. It's hard going to see the, my parents, Fatina, you know, and my mom's looking at her belly like this, you know, this thing's hard. So Abraham, Abraham's wife took Haggai, her Egyptian maid, after Abraham had dealt 10 years, dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his secondary wife, concubine. And he had intercourse with Hagar, and she became pregnant. And when she saw that she was with child, she looked with contempt upon her mistress and despised her. Again, I do not know where Sarai went with that, the pain of that. But I have a good idea what it looked like. Then Sarai said to Abraham, may the responsibility for my wrong and deprivation of rights be upon you. I gave my maid into your bosom. And when she saw that she was with child, I was contemptible and despised in her eyes. May the Lord be the judge between you and me. But Abraham, Abraham said to Sarai, see here, your maid is in your hands and power. Do as you please with her. And when Sarah de dealt severely with her, humbling and afflicting her, she, Hagar, fled from her. Okay. Now, that is a hard passage between a husband and a wife. That's hard living. Sorry, Lord, but that's hard. And Lord said this to me. He said, there are always consequences for going the way that does not correspond to my plans and my will. And you may often pierce 
yourself. Okay? You may often pierce yourself. There are consequences. Let's read it again. Verse 5. Then Sarai said to Abraham, May the responsibility for my wrong and deprivation of rights be upon you. She knew the thing was not right. She knew it was not good. She knew. And she knew that this is a consequence of what she had done. But she said, may it be upon you. When you go against God's plans for you. Now, I've got to say this carefully. Because no child of God wants to go against the plan of God for their life. Okay? You don't want to do that. But sometimes you are unable to adapt to the plan of God for your life. You either fail to see it, fail to recognize it, not want to see it, or a mixture of that. But you don't and you can't adapt to God's plan for your life. But what can happen is that you can have delay in life. God is merciful and he can turn it around eventually when we submit. But if we refuse to align ourselves with God's plans, we will miss out. You miss out. God's will is always the best thing for you. What God plans for you is always better for you. It's always for your good. His thoughts are towards us are of good and not of evil. You know, it's always, he wants to bring you to an expected end. He wants us to trust him. Sometimes in life, it's difficult to adapt to the plan of God. And I'm, I don't know who I'm speaking to out there. I know I'm speaking to myself. <laughs> or maybe 10 years, 15 years ago, whatever. Okay? But I'm just saying, hear it. Hear what the Lord is saying. Okay. The next thing the Lord said to me, the Holy Spirit said, was this. I don't do anything to, no, I don't do anything for you that is outside one of my promises. So that you know that because I have promised you, you can believe me for it in the certainty of faith. Numbers 23, 19 from a slightly different perspective, says this, God is not a man that he should tell or act a lie, neither the son of man that he should feel repentance or compunction for what he has promised. Has he said and shall he not do it? Or has he spoken and shall he not make it good? What is in the word of God? God is bound to. He's bound to his promises. And because he's bound to his promises, he has to fulfill what's written there. And he actually won't do something for you which is outside his promise. Second Corinthians 1.20 says this, For as many as are the promises of God, they all, notice it's all, Find their yes answer in him, Christ. For this reason, we also utter the amen. So be it. To God through him in his person and by his agency to the glory of God. All right. He will not do anything outside his promises, he said. That's both comforting and restricting sometimes. Because if you look at a promise and it has requirements, you will not get it unless you meet the requirements because it's bound to his promise. So the Holy Spirit said, today I want to broaden your perception of the promises of God. 
And I was like, okay. So clearly, he feels that we're missing out because our perception is, is, is too limited. Okay, and this is what he said. I, I just thought it was, it was a wake-up call. He said, okay, you are all on a path leading somewhere. Okay? Somewhere that I'm taking you. And my promises are like service stations along the way where you can pick up what you need for life's journey purchased by faith. Okay? So the promises are like service stations. Then he went further. He said, when you agree with my spirit for the plan for your life, it's like reading a map and getting the directions for the way to go. Do you acknowledge that motorways are not designed to be used without you stopping occasionally at service stations? What do you think? Yes or no? Okay. You all need to study the map carefully so that you can see where the service stations are and make sure you get in the correct lane so that you are able to enter the service stations. Okay. So let's break that down a little bit. The service station is there to refresh you for your journey or on your journey, okay? As children of God, we are supposed to display the promises of God so that the world can see that God loves us and he knows how to look after his children. So God's promises are there to refresh our lives. For us to have the benefit of his heavenly power manifested in our lives and to show the world I'm a child of God and I'm blessed of God. Okay? So, there is a need for us to study the map more carefully and more often so that we can see where the service stations are located. So we need to study the word of God more closely to see what the requirements are for these promises. And this is what the Holy Spirit was saying. You're not picking up the Bible and saying, where's, where's, where's the promises? Where's the map? What do I need to do to get to that promise? How do I need to go with the lead of the Holy Spirit to be able to get to that service station? Some of us keep missing out on God's promises because we have not been getting into the correct lane to get off at the service stations. All right? You know that sign where you see three bars, then you see two bars, then you see one bar? Service station. Yeah? That's the Holy Spirit. We need to get ready and stay ready to receive the promises of God. Stay in faith, stay in lane. Stay in lane. Some of us are always driving too fast. Way too fast. There's no way you can make that exit driving that fast. You're going to miss that service station. We are too impatient for the promise. So we try to make things happen quickly. But this does not work because we are not able to meet all the requirements in the timing of God. Slow down. We've got to slow down. Follow the directions from the Holy Spirit so that you can enter by faith and receive the promise. Some of us have got to slow down. We've got to be patient. But listen, don't worry, be patient. 
I believe there is another service station coming up soon. Okay. So, got a few other things to say here. So the next thing the Holy Spirit said was this. He said, make yourselves resilient for faith to birth the truth. Make yourself resilient for your faith to birth the truth. You need to understand that as time moves, I don't move. So let's go with that a little bit. Resilience is how you are able to take one or two knocks. Okay? You would describe resilience as no matter how much you hit that guy, he's not going to move. He's going to stay still. Okay? No matter what you say about that person, it's not going to change who they are. No matter what you do around that family, they're still going to stay together. No matter what they call you or how they call it, it's not going to affect your spirit. Genesis 17, 15 to 22 says this. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah, princess. Her name shall be, and I will bless her and give you a son also by her. Yes, I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations, kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, shall the child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a son? Make yourselves resilient for faith to birth the truth. You need to understand that as time moves, I don't move. They laughed. And he said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Sometimes God is so patient and kind with the response. But God said, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. Indeed, you shall call his name Isaac, laughter, and I will establish my covenant or solemn pledge with him for an everlasting covenant and with his posterity after him. And as for Ishmael, this one you just mentioned, I have heard and heeded you. Behold, I will bless him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Now I calculate from that sentence that that isn't really what the Lord wanted but he's bound by the content of the promise he made to Abraham. That which comes from your loins, you see. He had to. Multiply him exceedingly. He will be the father of 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant, my promise and pledge, I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you as this season, next year. And God stopped talking with him and went up from Abraham. 
The truth is, you are going to have your Isaac a year from now, for it is my promise. That's the truth. God can't back out of it. But Abraham, you must not let the 24 years that have passed since I made the promise to you that you will be a great nation or even the total of approximately 50 years of barrenness since you married Sarah stop you from being in faith for this to happen. So speak to your 99-year-old body and tell it to perform. Yeah. That's what he's saying to us. Perform. Make yourselves resilient for faith to birth the truth. Okay? Resilient to birth the truth. You need to understand that as time moves, I don't move. I've promised you, and I'm not changing it. I cannot move. I'm the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. So tell yourself, get with the program so that faith can birth the truth. For my covenant promise is not changed by time. The truth is, son, daughter, that prophetic word that I have given you in the former season or the promise you have been standing on from my word and that has indeed tarried still stands true. But you must persevere in believing it even now with works to prove your faith is still active for it will surely come to pass for I change not. And the final thing the Lord said to me was this. He said, monitor your life to see how much you are receiving by faith. Monitor what you are doing, how you're approaching what you are doing, the decisions you are making to see how much you are receiving by faith and how much is by your own strength. Monitor it. Let your faith cause you to receive more than your strength. Amen. That's, that's where I'm going to leave it. And I'm going to pray a little bit. Father God, you in your infinite wisdom has seen the pain, has seen the hours, days, weeks, years, decades, whatever it is, and knows. I believe you have truly spoken today, Lord. And Lord, we have heard you. I have heard you. Lord, I pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that every promise that has been held on to, that has been let go of because of the movement of time, because of the battering day after day, year after year of circumstance, let the strength come back to pick it up again and hold on tight to the promise. For the one that has given the promise cannot back out of it. Show us, Holy Spirit, how we can find our way to every service station that is on the path of our life. The promise that we will not miss, that we will be refreshed Slow us down so that we can make those valuable exits to those promises. Keep us in the right lane so that we are in faith to wait it out so the promise can manifest. Lord, all to your glory. I pray, Lord, that 
we will go from glory to glory to glory. Your word says specifically that you are able to do exceedingly and abundantly greater than that which we can ask or even imagine. Bless this house. Bless this ministry. According to your word. In Jesus' name. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 